Hello everybody and welcome to What Would The Smart Party Do? This week, no Baz, he's gone back to school after half term, but I've managed to recruit a special co-host, he's been on before, Ian McAllister. How are you doing Ian? I'm not too bad guys, how are you? Yeah, really good. You've got the Brainwaves podcast going now as well. You yeah, kind of I podcast do. You're on yeah. Right. We're, we're, we're coming right for you. Slowly, yeah, well, slowly yeah. but surely. <laughs> <laughs> like some kind of golem. Yeah. Well, it's not just you, because uh, as, as people have known who've listened for a little while now, we've had a, a torrent of guests at our doors, and we've got some homegrown talent this week. We've got Mr. Grant Howitt and Chris Taylor. How are you doing, guys? Hello. Hello. I'm upset good. that Ian's name doesn't rhyme with Gaz and Baz. Sorry, yeah, that, yeah. Is, that is disappointing. I mean, my middle name's yeah. Harry, so, like, Harry. There we go. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We'll stick with Ian for the time being. It might get confusing. But yes, hello, podcast. If you want to call him Baz, that's fine. Um, <laughs> no one gets that apart from actual Baz. Know your yeah. place. I've, I've, I've got the mask that Gaz makes you wear at the con, so he doesn't get lonely. <laughs> Sinister. I think people know you best. Um, well, one of two things, actually, Grant, is either going to be Spire, the, the big hot indie hit of last year, or this year, uh, or it's going to be Jason Stephan's Big Vacation. I'm not sure which is more popular, to be honest. Uh, you know what? They're both brilliant products. I think the uh, the awards boards would would would, uh, would disagree with you on saying that it was the indie hit of last year, <laughs> because Chris and I have decided we really want an award but haven't had any yet, and we don't know how to get them. Yeah, yeah. The less said about RPG industry awards around me, the better. I think. Like, like, You've like, had run-ins too. I think the Ennies asked for six copies of the book. I was like, no, just just give us the awards. <laughs> However, you know we're great. You you've know got, you've know got guys. Great. You've got to grease some palms somewhere along the way. <laughs> that's yeah, true. that's true. We didn't we didn't make many palms greasy, and they didn't accept the saucy Polaroids we sent. They were so erotic. <laughs> um, <laughs> now I understand why there's a lot of conversation around the Ennies and what's to do different for the voting process. Yeah, we we were we were the I'm going to say inspiring force behind a lot of that. No, uh, we are inspiring force. I like yeah. inspiring. We are we are Chris and Grant, and we write role playing games. We do Rowan, Rick, and Deckard. That's our official business name. Hmm. And Jason Statham's Speak Vacation is, I think, the greatest thing we'll ever write. <laughs> it was not, very much the zenith. Not not Honey Heist over that one. Ah, uh, Honey Heist is played out, and it doesn't rhyme. <laughs> That's very true. Plus, uh, Honey Heist was uh, that was a hundred percent pure uncut grunt, whereas Chris was heavily involved in Jason Statham. Yes, that's true. And and the flip side, what uh, Brian Cranston's big expansion? Yes, yes, that's great. <laughs> I didn't realize there was an expansion. Oh right, okay. Oh yeah, uh, there's an expansion. If you if you buy the physical copy, which at present is not currently available, uh, <laughs> <laughs> is that because you haven't printed any? <laughs> you can get Brian Cranston's big expansion, which is an expansion to Jason Statham's big vacation, written in character as Brian Cranston by we assume Brian Cranston, according to his right. Wikipedia page. It has a lot of Brian Cranston style like facts, which is good. <laughs> okay then, yeah, it's great. No, I can I can feel that both of our listeners are probably at home now wondering what on earth is happening. <laughs> so let's try and corral this into some kind of order. Sure, yes, and, sorry. please. Um, but look, let, let's get this. Um, Jess and Statham and so forth. What is all about that? This kind of like one sheet adventures or games? Would you call them? What? What? How did that come about? Okay, shall I field this one, Chris? Yeah, I mean it's technically your 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 side of the business. It's so. my it's my it's my face on the picture. Yeah, that's so. Um, I had a Patreon about two years ago, three years ago, um, and I released some slightly longer, like thirty page games through it, which was great, but it meant that I couldn't afford to fulfil the physical. Like backers at that point, I, I ended up spending more money than I was earning through Patreon, and so eventually we decided, uh, my partner and I decided that it would be it would be it'd be kind of a good idea if we just if I limited myself to one page a month and said up front, hey, it's going to be one page a month, um, all it's all the same rates as it was before, but like, it's only going to be one page long. You can back out now if you want. It's absolutely fine, and it's been hugely successful. Um, we, I got Chris involved, like actively involved in the process about. Eight months ago, six months yeah, ago, about that, yeah. Um, whereas before he was in more of a. So, if you've ever read a game I've written, Chris was there. <laughs> Chris yes. has been involved in everything I've done, and in like, in like to the extent when if if I've written my name on it, it's it's been passed in front of Chris saying, "Chris, is this is this shit?" At some validate point. me, validate me before I <laughs> hand it out to the. Because the thing, because I can't risk having my main source of validation, which is Twitter, ruined. So I have to make sure that Chris just sort of, you know, <laughs> keeps pre-validates it. Yeah, but we we do one a month, and they um, they tend to be comedy ones or horror ones, 
And the comedy ones tend to do really well because people like sharing them and laughing about them. And the horror ones, even I forget I write. <laughs> I'd like I'd like to point out they are real good. Like some of them are incredibly clever little oh, things. Oh, thank you nobody very much. cares. Yeah, no one. That's the that's the thing about one page RPGs. No one really gives a shit. It's like most of the indie RPG market. No one really gives a shit. Everyone, everyone can basically have a go at writing an RPG, which means that the market's hugely flooded. What, what was the percent? Of that? There was some sort of percent on on drive through. Just something like, I think only twenty percent of the products on drive through have sold more than fifty copies. Yeah, it's about that. Yeah, that like, sounds likely. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's about five percent have sold more than a thousand. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, it is, it's it is a it is a hugely saturated market, and we were trying to offer something different, and so we went for these one page games, which I designed myself, write myself. And I've got Chris in now as well, but I still do the designing and the layout and stuff because Chris isn't so good with um, drawing, handwriting. I, I don't do pictures. He doesn't do pictures. He he tried drawing once, and he was banned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was that because of what he drew or the quality of the drawing? It or? was both what and how. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> it was it was a crude and erotic pictogram. Yeah. Um, and it offended, it offended more churches than I thought it would. <laughs> yeah. I should have drawn it in the church. Well, <laughs> yeah. you got to find your audience. And so we do this now and it's very zeny and we had a I'm going to say a benediction from Critical Role about oh, it'll be about a year ago now actually. They played Honey Heist. Uh, and they mm. played Honey Heist set in their own campaign world, making it inscrutable to me. So <laughs> I've got to assume it's good. Uh, I turned on and they started talking about Taldithrian and whatever their whatever their fantasy world is. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'm going back to sleep. It's three in the morning. <laughs> but we've like it's been a huge blessing to a, to our Patreon. Like it's it's I'm not saying it's keeping us afloat because Spire is selling really well now. But honestly, that like, while we're working on Spire, it was a really beneficial thing for the business to have. Mm. Oh, for sure. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, do you think that's a, a viable way for other people to kind of like get into doing stuff and see if they can like keep a patron afloat and just actually physically do the thing of producing something every month? Is that would you recommend it to other people or? Honestly, yeah. I mean, one of the good things about one pages is that it makes you focus down your ideas. Yeah, like you see a lot of Kickstarters that are these rambling six hundred page books that don't really go anywhere. Five thousand years ago. Yes, and time before time. Mm. And when, if that person had really, like, put laser focus into a single page, what can I drill down? What's the most interesting thing I can do? They could have put out 30 games in that time. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a good writing exercise, if nothing else. Yeah, and it, it, it also means that just in... In terms of uh, game development now, so we're indie. We fund through Kickstarter, and we and we have Patreon for our podcast and for the one pages as well. So everything we do relies on fans rather than publishers. And putting out one game a month allows you to kind of just play the odds. Like, like it allows you to stay relevant. So like, there there's a spike potentially of interest every single month going out with oh, there's this new game happening. Like we launched Adventure Skeletons last week, which was which was really good fun. We have it's a game where you play a skeleton on a big adventure, but people keep hitting your bits off. And it was just in time for Halloween, which is neat, and it's it's fun. Like I think the the challenge has been finding a way in which people want to finding a kind of game which people want to share, people want to sort of tell their friends about. But I think it's definitely um, a useful thing for people to be doing, just to sort of get over the initial fear of doing it, letting people see your work, but and that sort of stuff. In other news, hurdle. I don't want these people eating my lunch. No, stay so away. yeah, so stay, oh, it's really hard. You can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're actually interested in setting up a distribution site for them. That's something which we're working on in the in the new year, of oh, having right, so some sort of cool. some sort of useful place where we can store all these one one two page RPGs and have a have a place where people people can upload them and and sell them for whatever they want without the horrendous drive through overhead. Yeah, quite. Yeah. Do you get much feedback? I mean, me and Baz did a little adventure each just to like give a patron something. Um, but like we love you all, patrons. Don't get me wrong. But getting any feedback seems to be like you know pulling teeth almost. Like people don't want to give you. A, I don't know whether they just don't want to say. Patreon, it Patreon sucks for that. Yeah, patrons um, aren't playtesters. It's not, and also like it's not. The platform itself is not set up to allow easy, easy communication. It's yeah. uh, it, it it likes hiding. It's like it likes hiding the communications between you. Like it'll email you to remind you, but it isn't somewhere that you go of standard to sort of catch up on your news. And so I think it is. It, it isn't a useful enough space to share and discover ideas. What it is is that people have to find you through something else, 
and yeah, then and I mean, back you. One of the things that, that we've done that has kind of furthered that community feeling and that direct feedback is one of a uh, patron for our um, podcast is linked to our Discord. So we have this community right. that's constantly talking, and I mean yeah. talking about all sorts of random shite half the time. Yes, but they're also talking it's not an about especially the games. focused podcast. Yeah, <laughs> um, they're also talking about like the one page games, and they're sharing stuff that they've seen. And this is an interesting idea I got from here, and this is a game I made. Is it any good? Yeah, I will. Um, I will, I will say one is. thing as well. Just like in terms of what are the most this is going to sound really fucking mercenary and again patrons, we love you, uh, and, like, <laughs> and like it's something like like we we genuinely mean this, but. From a purely mercenary point of view, you get people who are hugely invested in your work and who you have a direct line to. And so, um, if we like, it, if we wanted to leak information, we could, like we have channels we could quietly put that through, and then and then and then it would get out and be exciting rather than us doing something about it. And so, like, it really benefits to it really benefits to have some sort of community around your around your stuff. But that helps that we do a podcast as well. I think yeah. one pages the podcasts are very good for people feeling uh, able to talk to you and able to chat with you and part of a community. Whereas one pages are very much handed down up high from some mysterious Mount Olympus style place. Yeah, and they're just consumed by someone. Some guy called me very down to earth on Twitter, which I was slightly offended by. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> of course, Did I'm you going see to me not as a golden god. It was just—it was really confronting because I didn't—I didn't know what I was expecting to be people to think of me as. Do, do you know? Do you get a lot of feedback then? Are people like playing a lot of these one one shot RPGs? Do you get a lot of feedback from like actual play and that kind of thing from folks? Sometimes, yeah, occasionally. I mean, we don't test them ourselves. Uh, we it don't, takes we, a lot of time. It takes yeah. a lot of time, and also, like you might you might discover that you have to change something. So we really want to skip that part. <laughs> Fair enough. It's kind of nice, like seeing on on Reddit or whatever. Yeah. Like, oh, we played this; it was a great time. And, yeah, yeah, like or? like generally, if if a game goes moderately well, a few people will play it, and then it'll sort of spread around. But I mean, what are we on? Something like twenty six games now, are we, Chris? Yeah, uh, yeah I, I was just looking at your shop before we came on, and yeah, you're you're prolific. Yeah, oh, well, that's, well, that's well, one definitely up to date. Um, yeah, it's a, we're it very is, it is up. up to date. We put a bunch of skeletons up on there earlier this week on Admin Monday. Do you remember? That is true, yeah, it's yeah. right there. Yeah. Yeah, that's it right now. <laughs> Our we have an enforced day of admin where we don't just sit and write stupid things about <laughs> <else. laughs> or pretend to write stupid games and play games. Yeah, we uh, we've, spent, we've spent we've spent a few hours this week. Um, Chris has been playing through the new Call of Cthulhu game and streaming it to me. Uh, while while we have documents open, that's the best way I can describe it. So there'll be a Cthulhu, a Cthulhu uh, one-page RPG coming quite soon, then. Um, you know what? I think we would have written it by now because Chris is an absolutely huge fan of Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. Um, like, and that was that was kind of the that was kind of how I got to know him was was playing in his Call of Cthulhu game, and we haven't really done it yet. We haven't done a, a survival horror game in that ilk against sort of big, horrible, scribbly monsters. Why is that, Chris? Do you think? Because I'm afraid we'll get it wrong. And I, just, I don't like failure. Mate, that hasn't stopped us the previous 26 times. <laughs> that is true. We should give it a crack, eh? Yeah. It's just, it's just Honey Host, but your stats are uh, Investigator and Wizard. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right, so we've mentioned it a few times. Uh, let's get to the big juicy one. We've got Spire, which I ran uh, at Kraken in Germany. Ah. Just just a week or two ago, which went down really well. I ran it a couple of times actually. Oh, wonderful! Um, now, Thank you. I've got a couple of political ways of describing what it is, but they're probably not. They'll be divisive amongst our listenership. Like we were really keen with Spire to make it morally grey, but Chris, why don't you explain what Spire is? So Spire is ostensibly a revolutionary game. Um, you're in this enormous towering citadel of Spire, uh, which used to be a drow-controlled city. Um, and then it was lost during an occupation to the High Elves, who now control the entirety of the Spire. So they, they own the political structures, they own the police, they own everything. Um, and you play part of the Ministry, a sort of religious subcult, um, who's pushing up Spire and trying to take back their city. Um, and yeah, as Grant says, like it's it's very much about like how far are you willing to go for the revolution, how far are you willing to go to get what you want and what you believe in? At no point have we said don't do this. Um, yeah, and like so, we wanted to. We didn't want to write a game that was edgy, man, and dark and difficult. But we definitely wanted to write a game which would let players do that. 
because I think I think like if you if you write it into the game yourself, then you're sort you're sort of saying this is edgy and this is exciting and this yeah. is difficult. But I think I think like the best example we gave is 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 to make sure to always attach someone vulnerable to every important NPC because the players need to put a gun to someone's head. That's that's who you've got, and. It's. I think for me, Spire isn't a game about 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 putting a gun to to, to, to someone's to, like to someone's kid's head. It's about thinking about it, then not doing it. And that's the that's the yeah. like. How, it, what are you prepared to do? And it gives you the the whole point of the system and the the setting and the law and the character classes is to push you into those situations where you have to make that choice, mm. um, and then hoping that you do the noble thing or not. But if you don't, yeah. then you have to deal with the situation you've put yourself in. Yeah. You've done this to yourself. You, you don't um, get punished for you don't get punished for being bad. You get punished for being sloppy. Yeah, you're punished for being loud. Uh, I think sure. that they, it, it, it positions this resistance in, in kind of an interesting place because it's not like oh, you guys are glorious and noble. It's like no, you're really not working for the good guys. No, no. one's really the good guys in this. And I think uh, it's because it started off many moons ago as a dark heresy hack. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> um, it was yep. it, it was the Dark Heresy adaptation about four years ago, I think I was writing it, and then I realised that Games Workshop would sue us if we tried writing about the the Bimperium of Ban, so we changed that to be about to be to put it in the past. Well, yep. the alternative past with elves in, make it magic. Yeah, why not? It's wizards, and I'm yeah, I'm pretty chuffed with the way it's worked out. Tbh, yeah, yeah. that sounds pretty cool. I I don't really know much about Spire. Um, I, I've, I've on the I'm on the cusp of like buying and running it basically. I've just fin- I've just wrapped up two Blades in the Dark games, and they've that Blades has got a similar thing of like. There's a Kickstarter running. Yeah, right I know, I know. I'm, I'm I'm looking at it right now. It's in one of my open. It's in one of my windows. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, Blades has got that similar thing of like basically pushing the players into horrible situations and like letting them do their own thing and and yeah. suffering the consequences of whatever their particular set of actions is, which I I really really like about that kind of play. Mm-hmm. We've been compared to Blades a lot. We were released. We released at the same time. Yeah. Um, although Blades had been in development for, I think, significantly longer than Spire had been. Like by the time it all, by the yeah. time it all happened, but we had a similarly sort of quite abstract style and a similarly mm. sort of um, uh, kind of punky, grimy city. And also, goats were both important to both games, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> it would seem. Yeah, and um, it's. It does share a lot of similarities with with Blades, but I think I I, I purposely didn't read Blades in the Dark, even though I backed it, because I was worried that I didn't <laughs> yeah. want to write the same game. And going through it now, like there's a lot of similarities um, between the two games, but I think I think Blades is very focused and very and it's, it's very much around you and your you and your crew are doing this and you're taking yeah. over territory yeah. and telling the story. And Spire is much more. Um, it's there are fewer systems definitely there are no subsystems I don't think yeah. it's much more up to the GM and just telling quite a broad brush tale yeah Blades, is quite, more, Blades has got quite a chunky system to it it's quite, it's quite yeah mm. and Spire is much more much more narrative and in the player the, like the, the story is a lot more in the player's hands yeah, yeah. like it's, there's a lot more opportunity for a player to go this is a new NPC deal with it GM yeah, we. One of the things which we were really keen to write into Spire was the opportunity for the players to surprise the GM, because hmm. we really we hate planning and we like it when people surprise us. Yeah, hmm. I, I I hate prepping for games as well. So it's, oh, it's just it's, just it's much easier if the players do it instead. <laughs> exactly. just, like, the players show up every week and they're like, mm, "Game, please!" And they and they get their knife and their fork and they and they stamp it on the table like a little portly king. And I've no time for it. <laughs> I think I think players should be involved as well. Yeah, I agree. Rather yeah. than us well, just yeah. dancing for them weekly, <laughs> I don't disagree. Do you think it requires a little bit of um, player prep? I think one of the things with Spire is that basically every time you're making a roll, you're risking uh, stress or fallout. So something bad's going to happen to not necessarily you, but perhaps your community or, or the mm. rest of it. So for me, it needs a little bit of prep to play to say you do care about some stuff, and what is that yeah. stuff you care about? So you need to get that up front and center because if you go into it without players knowing they're supposed to care about things, they can get a little bit, just kind of go, you know, go knife crazy and just start, you know, well, we'll burn the whole place down. We don't care, you know. That is super fair. Like, I mean, uh, well, the game that we we had before Spire, the large game, was called Unbound. Um, and that was a game largely about that sort of session zero, about creating the world and about plotting through the adventure with your players. So largely everybody knows what's going to happen, but you're excited about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the character creation in spire is very simple because all of the length of time is spent on those things where you create a bond where you create somebody in that community that you want to protect that you want to save 
and, and also where you can use. Yeah, yeah. And like one of the thing, one of the design tenets was um, people are things. Mm. Life is expendable, and like a bond can be worn down. You can use that bond to achieve things for you. Mm. It's entirely possible to play a character inspired that never leaves their bedroom. <laughs> And just sends out their bonds to go and do all their dirty work for them. But you're sacrificing other people's lives rather than doing it yourself. Although very few so people seem to have cottoned on to that. Yeah, they're so all, they're out there on the fucking barricades. Yeah. <laughs> Is it real that in? But yeah, you are right. Like It, it needs a nice solid uh, session zero or introduction. Yeah. Um, and what we do for the published adventures, which are the sort of pay-what-you-want free ones, so they're worth checking out, uh, they all come with pre-gens. So you have that link to your community and then you pick another bond that is one of the other players at the table and you make that one up at the at the table when you sit down. Mm. So everything is linked. We learned quite a lot from 13th Age actually, like the way in which they do um, the way in which they recommend that you do campaign, uh, not campaigns, one shots at conventions is that you have most of the char- character sheet filled out and then you have the name and the one unique thing and your connection to other NPCs and your connection to the icons. Those are all left up to the players to determine. So basically, you determine the fun, sexy bits which make story happen, and everything else is just sort of handled. And I think that's kind of yeah. what we've done with Spire. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it definitely feels that way. I mean, the, the way I run it when I went to Germany is I nicked it off um, uh, Glenn, a guy I played with at Furnace. He, he ran it there. And he basically had one of the, uh, an A5 sheet of each of the archetypes, just a picture, like the cool, funky art you've got, um, mm. and a little description on the back, and chuck them all out and said, everybody just pick a character. And, that, and from that point of view, people are like, they don't necessarily know what the character's involved in or how it, yeah. it fits into this game world. I think but it's like, I just like the aesthetic of this. Or yeah. I like the idea of what that is, you know. I want to play Dark Elf Batman or I want to be the guy that's like a bit like Doctor Who or, you know, you could give them like quite pithy yeah. hooks and then you then there's a gem for that surprise bit. What I had was like, every time I run it, five different players or character archetypes because mm. I didn't know what I was going to get. Yeah. Which then yeah. flavors the story that happens afterwards. Yeah, yeah sure. that sounds super fun, actually. Sounds pretty good. The uh, I think the the other thing about uh, Spire is we were keen to have it so like it's quite setting heavy I think like two two thirds of the book is setting mm. but um, one we we wanted to write that as setting which isn't like oh five thousand years ago uh, I'm raiding army it's like it's more like this is what's happening today and here's what might happen tomorrow and I think that by writing in that we wrote in the idea of potential of, of what might happen to the city and one thing which is really important is we wanted players to feel empowered to say things we wanted people so, so like even so like if you play so like one of the classes is a knight of the north docks who is a sort of uh, codpiece and pauldron wearing gangster and we wanted them to feel like you have enough to define the setting around your ridiculous character. And then other people can start defining things around that. And then you can make your own rough version of Spire, which is going to be much more interesting than you sitting down and doing a reading comprehension exercise for, for half an hour to make sure that you know all the history of Spire, you know what's what. Because we like we change settings when we run them. We change games when, when we run them. And we wanted to write Spire to encourage that in the players and the GM to come up with their own stuff so they're more excited. Because then they're more invested and they have a better time and they they think we did it. Yeah, I mean, like, something that's, that's beautifully iconic of that is right at the beginning of the book, there's a little box that says, why is Spire here? Mm. And there's 17 answers. And we, we as writers, do not know which one is true. No, we don't know. We there, isn't, there, isn't a, there isn't a defined answer to that. A lot of them, one of them's just, it's just a really big tower. Yeah, it's just <laughs> a big tower, what's your point? You know? <laughs> Go on with it. Like there's, it's the body of a dead god. It's a signalling beacon to something from beyond. It's an it, ovipositor for world eggs. Yeah, it's all over the place. But it's about the, the fact that it doesn't matter which one is true. Yeah, any one of them can be true in your game, and yeah. you can you can read that as gospel every time you play, or you can change it. Yeah. Um, the entire book is hooks, not hard facts. Yeah. So you can just go. Actually, I don't like that, and it's really easy to drop it. Yeah. Rather than cutting out twenty years of history and then having to work out now who is the king of this land, <laughs> yeah, it yeah, just makes absolutely. it easier on everyone. To be honest, yeah, my, my go-to one for complaining about stuff is Legend of the Burning Sands, which is like Legend of the Fire Rings, but set in Arabian Nights. Okay, right. and you think, well, this sounds good. like that in itself is like yeah, cool. it's I'm a good pitch. And then you read like I don't know, one hundred and fifty pages of background. It tells you all this cool stuff that's already happened. And then like, you know, like, like I want to play in that. Why, why am I not playing that? And that's the problem with Exalted for me. I get so exasperated yeah. when I see a timeline. No. The second I see that no. picture of a timeline and it's got years marked off on it, my brain switches off. Fun mm. fact: we don't have a, we don't have a method of reliably marking years in Spire. 
We don't the number days them. Days of the week. We yeah. We don't have days of the week. We don't have months. We we have we have aggressively resisted having any sort of time uh, keeping in it because that means that you can't say like we've got now in the past two hundred years ago next week maybe but not. Uh, we mainly deal in in uh, in, in on uh, on the next dawn. That's our that's our biggest. Mm. Because it's a really easy way. But of how are you going to know where the next high holy day is, though? I mean, like players want to know this kind of stuff, right? Uh, there's a there's a random table for that, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you want to know this stuff, like we, there's a Spire Discord, um, and our community have done it. They've just created this document, and they're all adding to stuff. Like they've created like thirty new holidays, and all sorts of weird stuff. Which like yeah, go nuts. And like it's, and, and it's astonishing. It's, it's like, someone did uh, someone did a, a what language is being spoken here, and they did they did like a D twenty table with languages, and I think we put three in the book. But they've gone through and they've found a reference to this culture, and they're like, okay, cool. I'm gonna take this and extrapolate it. Here's a language they speak, and it's really weird to see people who are slightly more competent in our setting than us. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it shows they love it. At least they they want oh, they sure. want to create yeah, more yeah, of no, it. So that's great. It, we've got so we've got a brilliant community on Discord. So do you think it's the future of um, creating new games? Actually, is getting a community around it and um, like fostering that. I think awesome. game stores at the minute are existing because they've got communities and they run events and they've got game nights or they do whatever. You know, just selling role playing books isn't keeping everybody in in mortgage or no. you know cheese for the kids. But having a community in game stores is keeping it going. Is that the future for games themselves as well? And he's getting a bunch of people around who are excited about it. Yeah, shit, yeah. Uh, Chris is our yeah. community. Or are you just lucky? Oh, both. <laughs> like, we are super lucky. Um, we are, we are but, lucky and we are good. I think that's yeah. like the best way to describe it. Um, like, having a community around you is amazing. Yeah. Not least because you can just throw out a thing. Like, one of the things we posted were like, if we did a source book, would you all buy it? Maybe, guys? Maybe we would have buy a book? And they were like, no, I would totally buy that. I'm like, all oh, right, uh, this might actually be a thing we can make. Yeah. Um, and that was really exciting. And like bouncing ideas off people and there's people running games in, in there and like telling us all their all their stories about their games. Like a, and, like, a couple sometimes, of times a week, someone turns Sometimes up. they're boring as hell. Hey. <laughs> like, no, it happens. Like, and sometimes they're just like the most fascinating thing, but it's the fact that they're telling us and that they give enough of a shit mm. to tell us. I'm going to say it's like maybe twice a week, three times a week, someone turns up and says, oh, I played Spire last night. Here's how it went. It was awful. Everyone died. Yeah. it was. What, they, they loved it. They want to play again with the dead children of their previous characters. And it's it's just, it's great to see people sort of engaging, getting excited about this thing that we made. And they start putting their own spin on it. They start telling their own stories because... Like we wrote a, we wrote this to have people do their own stuff in it. We wrote, we're like we write machines for for, for making stories happen, yeah. and it's really awesome to see people do it. Yeah, and community's not not just useful for sort of selling books, but also for that kind of morale boost. Yeah, like the slog that you're going through when you're you're on chapter nine hundred and you're like, oh, I can't do another one. I'm I, can't, I can't name another elf. Yeah, <laughs> and then they're like, I'm really excited for the book. Like. Yeah, I'll do it for you, Timmy. <laughs> Chris, Chris, you, you said you'd roll a natural twenty for me today. <laughs> By golly, I will. Yeah, uh, and, and also like, and so like, one having them encourage you in that way is cool, but also like being able to say, "Hey, I'm just going to take a screenshot of this thing we're working on," and for ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the people in the world, they wouldn't give a shit or even understand what we've said, but you're going to eat it up. So here are a series of spells. Which you had to learn as a child in a mystery cult buried far under the city. Go, and also you can now your them. heart is full of bees. Yes, <laughs> salt. I mean, that's literally a thing. Yeah, one of my I'm classes is full there. of bees. Wow. Okay. Right. It's, a, it's an extra advantage. Yeah, it's like a prestige class. Yeah. You pick another class, and you're like, now I'm that, but there's more bees than organs. Yeah. It starts to fill your cavities with wax. You fight evil. One of the other things you guys have done is like you've you've got the community of fans, obviously, which sounds like they're really supportive of you, but you've also got the the UK indie RPG league as well. How how did that sort of come oh, about? Because yeah. I, I used to I used oh, to be a sorry. member of the Collective Endeavour, which was a similar right. kind of setup um, um, in the, in the long long ago, and it, it looks like a sort of similar kind of thing where you guys get together with other indie RPG creators and. How, how useful has that been? How, how did it sort of come about? Massively useful. Mm. So it started because uh, Jay Isles of UFO Press, who did Legacy Life Among the Ruins mm. and some other stuff, um, was going to conventions and essentially spending so much money 
to be that presence at a convention, which you have to do if you want to make something of yourself as an RPG writer. You have to be seen and going around. And then at smaller conventions was spending more than she was getting back. So what what the idea was, was that we'd all band together Mm. so we could afford a bigger table and have more of an impact. Mm. Yeah. Um, and share that load, like because we've got everything from fairly small companies up to quite big companies, just in terms of throughput of books, mm. all selling from the same table, and it means that one person isn't on that stall for the duration of a convention. Yeah, yeah, you can so, take a break, um, even if you get food be, or whatever, that kind of thing. Yeah, you can walk away from the yeah. table and well, not yeah, lose we, money. We've got, we've got a team of eight people. Um, who come along to conventions generally, and we take shifts on there. And like I will say, at UK Games Expo this year, I did not come off the stall. And uh, and like on Saturday night, I died standing up in a bathroom. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was it was a massacre. It was really like just the the like I've I've had like so my my day job is a freelance role playing game designer. So I don't have an especially hard job normally, but I've worked jobs in the past and. <laughs> There's nothing more exhausting than than standing up for eight hours and shilling your product and having to be enthusiastic, yeah. like having yeah, having to there. keep the hustle and keep yeah. keep that going. Um, like it's, and also it was intoxicating. Like I couldn't stop it. Um, but I believe they are actually forcing me off the stall at Dragon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you yeah. don't die. Well, yeah. So, but we've got uh, we've got four tables downstairs at Dragon Meat. We've got a ludicrously large amount of room because it wasn't that expensive, yeah. considering that we're splitting it between four of us, as it were. And so we get to we get to mob up and show our stuff, which is really exciting. But also, again, it's really nice to have people who are doing this, doing the same grind you are, like yeah. the same daily work, like not yeah. the fun work of game design, but the awful work of accounts, mm. you know, and stuff like that. And you can you can talk to them and go like, oh, I've had an awful day. I've had to do income tax, mm. and they understand because they've just had to do it. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, I've thought of a cool rule. Does this make sense to people? Yeah. And you can bounce stuff yeah. off them, or like, get them or, Kickstarter pages, or like, like, does anyone know an artist for this? Does anyone know a layout person? Where uh, is, this, is this a fair quotation for printing? And it's just the sort of thing which which you which we would have had. I think which which in America they have, like there yeah, seems to be a much greater community. There seems to be a much greater community of people um, being close close friends and hanging out and doing things together in America as game designers. Whereas in the UK, uh, the other game designer I mainly know is Chris. Hi, <laughs> and I work with him. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing. You don't see him board gaming as much because my podcast, all my all my stuff is board game based, pretty much, mm-hmm. and you don't see that sort of sharing of stands as much. I've kind of suggested it to some of the sort of smaller mm-hmm. designers before now, but it never seems to really get taken up and run with. It, it seems to be a thing that happens in RPGs more often for some reason. That's kind of like because like if you if you see the average board game Kickstarter, it generally clocks. Ten grand more than an, uh, the oh. same, the same amount of RPG. Like it, you get, you get more money coming through the system. You got to make so a there's less need where whatever. we're like an RPG group is literally scraping the barrel just to just to afford the money to get to a con so that we can then make some profit and hmm. and be all right. We should stop month. gluing our money to the bottom of a barrel. Yeah, uh, it's a stupid idea. <laughs> yeah. I've voted against it, but like banks, yeah. We should try it. I guess we're traditional. Yeah, they do credit cards and stuff now. So what's like scraping the coins off the bottom of the barrel? Yeah, that's. I assume that's what uh, the machine, yeah, the clicky clacky machine, put the check yeah, into. Yeah, yeah okay, I, and that gets the coin off. Yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, but yeah, like like board game Kickstarters are bigger, so there's there's more money in, in yeah. board games. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, um, so banding together is so much easier we, when you're an RPG because there's desperation <laughs> in the air. I just want to say, like, we tried writing a board game slash war game. Um, yes, I say we, um, I had I had to go at it, and I was like, "Yeah, okay, I've got, I've got some pretty cool ideas here. I've got an interesting way of doing short campaigns." And then I went to UK Games Expo, and I was like, "Oh, I see. One in three of these stands is a war game. I'm not going to fucking bother with this." <laughs> and just like, and ne- never even printed it out. <laughs> no, there are some was, astonishing yeah. minds in the board game industry. Yeah, just, I, I mean, know. there are in the RPG industry as well, but like, my brain doesn't work like a board game. It works. Yeah, in an RPG style. You don't need to, the great thing about RPGs is you don't need to balance them. They don't need to be mechanically fun. You know? No, you, you do. You, yeah, I, I want to stress all of our games are fun and balanced. Potential <laughs> <laughs> investors. You heard it here first, folks. A bo- yeah, a board game system should almost run itself. Mm. Like yeah. the player should just put things into a into a computer system, mm. and then the game does a thing and spits out a result. 
and that needs such fine tuning and such a mind that I don't have. Yeah, mm. like I can I'm... balance an RPG. I can make a system that works that tells stories, mm. but not handles processing power. I think that's the thing. I think we could get there, and I think mm. that like we've been, like you and I have been making games together for um, over ten years now. Yeah. Uh, on and off, we've been doing like we started off doing LARPs, and then we we, we sort of we progressed into tabletop a few years ago, and it's been. Like we've been honing our craft, and like we're significantly better now than we were a year ago. Even like we're still we're still improving, and it's great to see. And I think that we could spend that time, you know, working on doing board games and developing prototypes and going back to square one in the development. But we've got ourselves a niche now, yeah, or a niche. How's it pronounced? Crucially, something we enjoy. It's niche, niche, niche. Yeah, yeah, definitely niche. So I'm going to circle us back round, uh, segue into how you make money. Kickstarter is a thing. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, you just described in great detail how, like, you don't have to do any source books or anything because all your fans do it for you. So you're now kickstarting a source book for Spider. So, so how does in, all that work? They've just stolen it off. The, they've just stolen it off the fans. It's terrible. Yeah, some of it. it's all off Discord. Is that what it is? Honestly, like some some of it, like the the ideas for some stuff has come from from fans. Like especially uh, uh, sort of we have a very small sort of first try playtest group. Yeah. Where it's very rough, and we can just go. There's like five or six of them, and we can just go. So everyone, we think this works, and we push it at them. Yeah, and they go. Well, it just doesn't sound right, and yeah. then we can rework it. Um, and some ideas that they've come up with have been incorporated into the book mm. um, and been expanded upon and changed and stuff. Um, but we wanted to do a source book just because there's so much more spire out there. In because the... we've left everything open. We can throw more random open stuff in, yeah. And all it does is make it more interesting rather than more complicated, because that's one of the huge issues I always had with source books. When like you're playing Dungeons and Dragons, and like, well, I'm working from the Sionics Handbook, well, I'm working from Sword and Fist, and everybody's at cross purposes. Mm. Whereas when it's all narrative, it's okay; it all meshes together. Yeah. I, th- I think like well, well, we wanted to write um, more things set in the world of Spire. It's a really, it's a really fascinating setting to write for, and we figured people would buy it, which is nice. Mm-hmm. And also, the, the other thing we're doing with Strata, uh, different from all of our other products so far, is we're getting other writers in. We have nine other writers, ten other writers, nine. Oh God, nine! I think nine other writers out. Uh, who were doing scenarios for us and so they so they've taken the ideas we had behind so we did um we've got blood and dust idol and sky and kings of silver which are all fairly uh open-ended um almost almost sandbox i suppose campaigns like if you happen to have read the armitage files for trail of cthulhu where you're just given a handout and then there's a book explaining how to fix it yeah or the <laughs> dracula dossier a lot of stuff that pelgrim's yeah, done yeah, yeah. it's that kind of just just go nuts yeah we we, we, we were hugely inspired by the armitage files we thought they were very mm. very cool yeah. Uh, and so we've tried to get people to do something similar along those lines. And so we, we put out a call for writers, an open call for writers on our website. And we got, I think, about 120 responses. And we've hired uh, nine of them, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And we've got people who've written a bunch of stuff before and people who've never done any sort of work in RPGs before. But what we what we, we, got, we got them to say to us, give us a pitch. You've got 100 words to give us a pitch. Sell us a story set in Spire. And we've just got this incredible breadth of stories uh, from like from all different power levels and uh, perspectives and from different kinds of writers. And it's been really exciting to sort of like we just we finished editing on the first two today uh, and, and handed them back. And it's just it's really exciting to see what other people have done. Yeah. And it runs the gamut. Like uh, one of the ones we handed back today was a sort of very folk horror scenario. Midsummer is... Murders, but with Drow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's creepy as hell, and it, it plays almost like a Cthulhu game. Right. Um, there's leads and there's clues, and it's a little bit more structured than other stuff. Uh, one of the, the stretch goals that we just funded uh, is controlling a revolutionary bakery. Mm. It's quiet. Yes. Um, so you're, 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 you're literally serving croissants to the rich. And, and um, whilst trying to burn down their houses. And it's, it's, it's a nice way yeah. of providing a mechanic to get in there. Um, we've got uh, a disabled writer writing about what it what it's like to be a disabled character in Spire. Oh, um, wow. So the character actually the characters actually don't start off as part of the ministry. They're not part of the main protagonist group. Even the main protagonist group have ignored these people, mm. and it's about their personal struggles and them like being ignored by everyone. It's called the Forgotten, and them dealing with that. And it's it's so interesting having all these different viewpoints and different mm. cultural backgrounds come in and take a bit of Spire that really inspired them mm. 
and then just running with it and going crazy. And so, yeah, there's no two that you even slightly alike. Not really in no. the book. It's 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 been fascinating to sort of give to give people the chance to write, and also to, and also like to have them write in our world and to make this happen. And f- from what we've done, we've primarily tried to expand the existing setting. So we looked at the highest and lowest societies in Spire. And um, basically, I've run at them as hard as I can, and Chris has occasionally grabbed grabbed under my collar and go, no, 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 this is crazy what you write. No, this is ridiculous. <laughs> so uh, he's he's kept me in check, but uh, he like he did manage to let me write in a uh, a list of artistic schools you can follow as an idol, their movements within the uh, magical artistic community, and you get different powers based on them. And Chris, ba- there was one which had a name too long to pronounce or remember, and Chris said that it wasn't funny enough a joke to keep in, so that's gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we expanded things like those new classes. There's the Inksmith. Oh, the shit, Federation. yeah, there's the Inksmith. So the Inksmith, um, imagine if you... Have you seen Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? Yeah. Right, imagine if imagine if you were Hunter S. Thompson in that, but all the stuff you saw was real. And you're a wizard. Okay. And you made it real. <laughs> Um, so you control the narrative. You're you're a journalist, but you can literally control the narrative. You can force a man with a gun to turn up in a, into a situation. You don't get to it say what sort of person it is with the gun, or whether they're on your side or not. But you know, a person with a gun will walk through a door into the room you're standing in. And and so it's about pushing a story exactly. and pushing an agenda through that story, and also about uh, reflecting the the. Like we could have written a lot about, oh, here's how literature is inspire at present, and here are the current. It's like, no, let's write a character who embodies that, so that's baked into the rules. So Chris and I, uh, especially Chris, uh, is is really down with pulp fiction and noir mm. fiction and that sort of nineteen twenties uh, to nineteen forties style of stuff. And so the mm. other side of the Inksmith, aside from being uh, Hunter S. Thompson but a wizard, is Raymond Chandler but a wizard. And so you get to you get to sort of play with these noir tropes, and I think like the I mean the man with the gun is the most important one, but it's the most uh, iconic one. We've got one like once once possession, you can you can define you can say anything anything happens and it happens as long as it would naturally happen in a schlocky pulp novel that you wrote, and so you can just push the theme of the game. In that so direction. like for instance, if if you don't know what to do, say say you're playing investor game, you just have no clue where to go next. One of the standard tropes in noir is that you go out and you get beaten up and then you find a clue immediately afterwards. Yeah. So you can do that. Mm. Um, you, there's, there's a power where if you're drunk enough, you can't take damage. <laughs> and it's about that. And then, you and do then you take damage to reputation for doing it, I should stress. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you don't take body damage. You basically embarrass um, yourself out of gunshot wounds. Yeah. And then you've got the shadow agent, which is this honestly fairly dark place of a character class. Yeah. Um, where one of the things about joining the ministry is you have to go through this really grueling initiation ceremony, mm. which we kind of detailed, but not accurately detailed. Yeah, we wanted people to make up themselves. To make it up if they wanted to. Yeah. Um, and one of the, um, what happens is, during this, the character essentially experiences ego death and loses their own identity. But they now become like the perfect super spy. They have the ability to replace their own identity with other people's. And they can cycle through that. And it gets to the point where, like, they're masquerading as a police officer. And they they jump off a roof and break both their legs. So they change their disguise as a baker whose legs aren't broken and walk off. And the second they put the police officer disguise back on, those broken legs are back. You keep it. Again, it's that that narrative control. Admittedly, they are slightly further out their classes than the core book. Yeah, for sure. But we wanted to be able to experiment. And because they're not in the core book, they're very much optional. A bit like the Blood Witch. Yeah, you who, don't have, have to who has a, who has a many-eyed dog that only she can talk to? <laughs> That's not not your standard sort of revolutionary cell character. Yeah, and there's other advances like there is an actual journalist, like a gazetteer, somebody who controls a newspaper. There's, um, a and they're all tied to Druid the, of the Living Spire, so you can have multiple different things grow through your skin, and sometimes that's helpful. Yep. Um, child mystery cult member. Yeah, there's loads. Mm-hmm. Already, ha- already happy, fun stories for nice times with your friends. Couple <laughs> yeah, yeah. for everyone. One of yeah. the other things you've done recently, just before launching Kickstarter, was to launch the Resistance Toolbox, which is sort yeah. of open sourcing the Spire sort of core rules. What's what, yes. what are you sort of hoping to get from that? Money. <laughs> no, not no, money. It's, no, it's free. It's free. Um, it is the, free. Yeah. The thing about the Resistance Toolbox is we were very careful not to call it an SRD. You cannot just pick up the toolbox and run a game. It doesn't work. Yeah. 
um, because the, the the way the resistance system works, the setting is so carefully baked into the classes. It's a guide on how to make a game. Mm. Um, and it's really interesting seeing what people make of it. So, for instance, we've seen a game called Ascendancy mm-hmm. come out, uh, which is uh, essentially cyberpunk. Mm. They've done a cyberpunk thing going on. Uh, there's another one called what? Wait. I should also note, it's cyberpunk queer superheroes. Mm. It's very cool. Wow. It is. I, and and I don't know how to pronounce this one, but it's Hwait, H-W-A-E-T. It's, uh, it's, which it's is about, pronounced in the manner of Little John. What? Which is about doing uh, epic tales, like playing as Beowulf, mm. playing as the ancient epics. Um, so you can take damage to your destiny. And so you're likely to not fulfill your destiny. And then there's specific destiny fallout as you get closer to the, to, 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 to the meaning of your life, which is so cool. That's yeah. such a sexy idea. We'd never thought of that. And honestly, the reason why we did it is to see what would happen. Yeah. Fair enough. Like, I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff. Like, for instance, um, the Forged in the Dark stuff. Mm. There's mm. Uh, there's stuff like um, Scum and Villainy, which is doing yeah. real well right now. Mm. I'm not a huge fan of sci-fi, so that's, that's why I'm not essentially loving that game. Mm. But it feels quite similar to Blades in the Dark. Mm. And if any game's made off of the... the the fifth edition SRD mm. feel quite similar. Whereas what we wanted to see was like, we're looking for those people who would just like do something completely different with it. Mm. The only sort of recurring theme that's baked into the walls is it's about loss and it's about what you're prepared to sacrifice, what mm. you can lose to get what you want. And we're seeing so many random things come out of it. That right, right. just fantastic. Like seeing people define their own resistances and define what their characters have to lose and what's at stake. Because we don't have any sort of set ones in there. We don't have any set skills. We don't have any set domains. There's no set things. There's nothing to work from, aside from the core ideas behind the game that you're building up, You know, the, the very dry mechanical ideas. And so, like whatever your, whatever your resistances are, whatever your domains are, that's going to dramatically change the way change the stories that your game's telling so yeah it's a it's definitely a challenge uh, it's mm. much harder than writing something in fate for example uh but yeah. it's i think i think it's it's like and also it's it's not for everyone and it's not going to tell every story out there but i think people are already hacking spire people are already taking it and, and, and making their own systems out of it yeah i mean that that yeah. person we spoke of that did ascendancy yeah um actually retro-engineered our rules <laughs> Yeah, all the great. resistance toolbox came out. They explained to us how some of our maths worked. <laughs> like we didn't know that the certain bit that they explained worked yeah. in the way it did, but they they worked it out. We were really struggling uh, how to do like class creation, ability creation, and they were like, "Oh, it's simple. You've just done this." Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Oh, <laughs> so you control. We do have a method. <laughs> <laughs> we're just testing you. Just testing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I guess another bit that's really striking about uh, Spire and, and therefore Strato as well is the art. It's got a, a very distinctive oh. style. Do you want to talk about the artists? God, yes. So Adrian Stone is some sort of picture wizard. We love him. Um, I don't know. I don't know how he does it. Um, but what we do is we give Adrian uh, maybe two sentences of description, and he produces what you see in the book, wow. which is this really striking block colours iconic art of everything I, I, I want to say as well um, so he, he was the artist on Unbound which is our first um, sort of A4 big book product we put out and with that we gave him even less direction because it, it's a universal generic role playing game we just told him to go hog wild like here's some ideas and you go okay cool I'm going to ignore those and do something better right you are AD <laughs> and that was thanks cheers um, and so and so like it's worth having a look at Unbound because he's managed to make this unified look without having any sort of there's no, here's the default game. He's got this incredibly broad variety of things which still hang together. It's absolutely beautiful what he managed to do with it. And Spire yeah. too, like he gave us the look for that. I think the thing which I'm most impressed with in Adrian's work is um, there is quite commonly in professional role-playing games, the art is very detailed. And it's very luxurious. And so uh, if you think of your Dungeons & Dragons, uh, Dark Heresy, that sort of thing. You have, like you Wayne have Reynolds the... art, like that sort of mm. super deluxe art. And so you have these really, really detailed images of these very specific characters, which are great, but that's not what the game's about. The game's about you and your character. And so Adrian's style is really abstract and really sharp, which I think gives most viewers the capacity to project themselves into those uh, into those characters and fill in the details around the site, which is really useful for role-playing games. 
And plus, they look really good blown up into posters and put on your wall. Oh, they look great. <laughs> yeah, the, the art is silly. fantastic. It's so yeah. good. It's mind blowing. And the, the the really annoying thing is, like, for instance, the cover of Strata is this beautifully um, stark, like, top and bottom of a core of a of the city. Um, and the first the first draft of that was even more intricate, but it looked like it looked like a sci fi film. Is... It looked like that bit when Luke's hanging off the bottom of Cloud <laughs> City, and it yeah. and it looked fantastic, but we couldn't use it. That is so that, that that is actually that's the one problem we have with, we have with Adrian, and I don't really want to describe it as a problem because he produces such incredible work. But I'm going to say one in five times we have to go. Yeah, can you just make that twenty percent less sci-fi, Adrian? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> can you t- like, can you take some of the ray guns out? Yeah, okay, not a problem, boys. A lot of stuff in the book. How, uh, like for instance, there's a picture of Pilgrim's Walk, which is a uh, a center of religion. So there's hundreds of different competing religions all over this street. And for some reason, he just decided to do the entire thing in neon. It looked like the center of Beijing. It was so cool. Yeah. Neo Tokyo or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It looked it looked beautifully cyberpunk. It's a wonderful picture. Like, Adrian, mate, they don't have rayon radon <laughs> tubes. Like you need to dial it back. Adrian, can you can you put some candles in an elf? <laughs> <laughs> But aside from that, yeah, literally, like we give him, we give him a spreadsheet, and like it's a spreadsheet that we give him, not a text document, with these tiny little descriptions, and and just so there you go. Can we have those by October? <laughs> I will say as well, we're pretty loose as far as it comes to canon. We're loose canons in that one, mm. but we, we don't want. Don't sorry, don't laugh at that. Don't don't encourage me. <laughs> No, I was laughing at you, not at the. That's, what that, that's, don't 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 engage me in any way. Is what I'm saying. The um. Having like so, Adrian, uh, he's got a little hovering drone in one of the pictures, mm. uh, and we don't have the drones. Vermissian sage, sorry, the Vermissian sage. Yes, Vermissian sage. The person who is who is chasing the Vermissian sage, or vice versa, has a little hovering drone, and they're not referenced anywhere else in the book, and they do not exist. But yeah, why not? Okay, sure. This, you know what? That one has drones in, and Spire has drones in. Spire has a surprising amount of neon. And it's fine. Like it's all okay. People it all fits. Like, it all works. Yeah, it all fits. And like drones, drones fit the aesthetic. Honestly, isn't that like like hovering angular structures? That's that's all fine. Yeah, I think it does. <laughs> Tim does our maps. Yeah, the ludicrously detailed maps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they are beautiful. However, we've had the odd issue where, like, for instance, there's a food van in them, like like a car. That sells tacos. I spotted that. <laughs> it's, it's in the there. It's, it's, There's it's, a nuclear it's, it's reactor. Yes, a nuclear reactor. There's a floating island which we did not put in the book. And and like and like the gag is that it's done in character by a person who's never left their home country, never been to Spire, and so they've drawn this sort of fantastical imagining of what Spire might be to try and sell maps. But unfortunately, when people buy it, they're like, "Oh, okay, where's this floating island? Oh, we don't know. Tim Tim came up with that." I'd like to complain about the appropriation of my culture. There appears to be a Loch Ness monster in your map as well. That's, that's, that's in the book. <laughs> that's in the book, to be fair. That, that's in the book. I'll, I'll have you know, I am Scots, so that's fine. No, I that's, just lost the accent. That's fine, then. That's fine. <laughs> I, can put, I can put Nessies wherever I feel. From the art to the maps to, to the text, it's all about uh, just inspiring stories, isn't it? Like you yeah. say, I think one of the interesting ones I had, one of the players uh, from Germany, was uh, the idol. And it, one of the reasons it was interesting is because when I was putting all these pictures out and giving a pitch for it, I was like, uh, the idol, don't really know what it is. That's, you know, arty stuff, don't really care. And that was like my pitch for it. And she like, <laughs> grabbed that straight away. And I was like, I want this. But Fair. Like, I couldn't have sold it any worse than that. But somehow you've like... That's just how good we are as writers. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's honestly, that's that's one of, one of the things we wanted to do when we were writing the classes was to make every single power. So you're going, I have to have this. Mm. I want this power because it's so cool. And the art does exactly the same thing. I want to play that because that picture is so cool. That denotes what I want to be. Yeah. Um, and it's about picking what you love the most mm. and then kind of mashing it into a character. Yeah, make it happen. Yeah. And it's it's so much fun. Another point that came out of it, that the second part that was interesting, was that after the game, when she was telling other people about the game, all this stuff came out that hadn't happened at the table, but was obviously going on in her head. <laughs> Yep. So when she was explaining what had happened, it was like, and then my Elfie did this and that, and I got to play Dark Elf, and she did this, and she was actually part of this. I was like, where the fuck? Fu- <laughs> 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 this wonderful internal monologue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was like, I mean, this is a great movie going on in her head, you know. No, it's amazing. It's, 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 it's great, like, having people come up to you. 
Like, especially me. So one of the great things about, about this company is nobody knows what I look like. Everybody knows what Grant looks like, but nobody knows what I look like. I put my face out there. So I get people coming out and I've just played this great game. Have you? Have you? <laughs> What's going on there? <laughs> Tell me everything. <laughs> it's so funny. That, so that, that happened. So like we were we were in a pub. We were playing Spire in the background of a pub a few a few weeks ago, and my partner was running a game for us. And uh, so we, we we were in the sort of pub where you have uh, where they, the people play Dungeons and Dragons and board games quite often. And so we were, we were generating up the characters, and these two guys who were sitting at the table uh, next next door uh, leaned over and said, "I hope you don't mind just interrupting. This game sounds really cool. Can we have a look?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's Spire," and gave him, and, and gave him the copy I wrote. And I, I I didn't want to say, "And I wrote it, and I'm playing it with my with my friends." So it's so like, "Yes, it's Spire, enjoy." And so and like and then like the, the people who I was playing with are like, "Oh yeah, it's really good. Here's why it's really good." But I didn't I did not feel comfortable at all saying saying, oh, I, I, "I thought elves were good," and I wrote a game. Love me, love me, please, random man in a bar. <laughs> Hold me in a way that father never did. It's all a quest for validation. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's all life is, really. <laughs> yeah, no one knows well, who Chris is. He is the uh, he is the he is the ominous looming power behind the throne. I, I do a good loom. You do a great loom. <laughs> well, on that note, so um, where do people find out more about your stuff? If they want to get in touch, if they want to validate you even more, how do they get in touch? Where's your Discord? What's your podcast about? Where do they find you? You can spiel this out. You've oh, okay. you got this down. Flex, flex and do it. Okay. Just limber it up. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can go to patreon.com forward slash hearty dice friends, where you can hear half of us talk a little bit more and also more about dicks. <laughs> Uh, I have like a suspicious amount more. I have I have an unhealthy fascination with downstairs bits. I think they're very funny, and Chris tolerates that. I do. Uh, We have so uh, so Hearty Dose Friends is a role playing game advice podcast which we put out weekly. Uh, We answer questions from our listeners and from Reddit, which we find, and we just we're very. I mean, like all podcasts, we're very immature. We dick around and tell stories, but hopefully, there's a little bit of learning in there as well. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to differentiate us from every other podcast on the internet. From I presume this podcast, (laughs) 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 who's actually probably very insightful and useful. You should listen to this podcast more. I heard that the UK's premier role playing game podcast said on their website. Which um, sounds like fighting talk to me, Christopher. <laughs> I'll see you dragging me and bringing Baz. And they had, they had the audacity. I mean, fist fight in the car park. I'm I've, ne- I've never fought anyone called Baz before, but I don't wish to start. That is a losing fight, my friend. We will hit the ground hard. I've got too, I've got too many syllables in the names I'm known by to fight a man called Baz. I mean, I'll be there as well, but I don't really want to get into Barney thing. You'll have not finished listing your achievements before Baz has you by the ankles. I'll tell you. Um, we also have okay. So what else we have? Um, you can go to RowanRookandDeckard.com to check out all of our games that we've written together and separately. And we've got like a bunch of them are free, so you can just go and download them. There's a whole load of free stuff on there. Too many. Uh, If you like Kickstarters, and if you like if you like paying for things now, which you get later, you'll love Strata, a Spire RPG sourcebook. You should search for that because Kickstarter URLs are trash. It's delayed um, gratification for you, and instant for us. It's pretty good, except and and ten percent gratification for Kickstarter. <laughs> so if you want to give us money, but also give Kickstarter some money, come and take a look at Strata. Have a look at the art and the stretch goals we're we're, we're offering. We think it's going to be really exciting, and we think that you, as a connoisseur of the finer things in life, will enjoy it very much. Uh, Chris, is that it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's plenty. And of course, <laughs> it's, it's like eight things. <laughs> <laughs> that's a multitude yeah yeah plethora yeah people come down to dragon meat as well can't they and, uh, and see you in the flesh so to speak maybe oh, not yes. Chris he'll be he'll be in disguise as usual oh no but, I'm uh, I'm very hard to miss in the flesh Chris is six for eight yeah it's probably because you sat down now you don't look like no that's, 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 that's the thing yeah um yeah Chris is actually lying down so he can fit on the webcam <laughs> <laughs> This he's... desk is six foot off the floor. <laughs> he's such a big guy. He's actually standing up on one of those standing desks. Yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> yeah, no, we will be there. We'll be at Dragon Meat. We'll be selling stuff. We'll have, um, we should have, hopefully, the two new products. We'll have uh, the second bundle of one pages, including Jason Statham's Big Vacation and Crash Pandas, a game about playing all a bunch of raccoons driving the same car. 
uh, and also um, maps of the Golden Sea, which is very exciting. Mm. Like 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 legacy style, draw on a map and have a campaign style role playing. Also, we will be fulfilling our promise at every convention of we will sign anything you give us. Yeah, even if we didn't write it. Especially we will sign other it. people's books for you. We've signed people. We signed a lot. We did. We signed this nice guy <laughs> twice. Yeah, he came back. Yeah. He was good. <laughs> yes. Come see us there. Wonderful. Well, it's been an absolute experience to have you there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's definitely not the first person to describe it as an experience. <laughs> Very carefully worded there, guys. I think we've been quite restrained tonight, Christopher. I've barely mentioned Cox at all. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> No, it's been uh, great fun to have you both on, and uh, I look forward to seeing you at Dragon Me. Okay. Yeah. Not if we see you first. Bye.